All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. Right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. I am your host, Bryce Paul, uh, joined as always by my notorious co-host, Mr. P.I.Z. Aaron Pizza Mind Malone in the house. How are we doing, Aaron? Man, I wish I could match your excitement, but to be <laughs> honest, uh, I am exhausted and it's only July. I still have another half year to go. Um, <laughs> I guess this is why traditional worlds and schools all have summer vacations but there is no rest for the wicked here in crypto oh man builders gotta build that's right and we're here to do some amazing things in the world so no sleep for us no rest no vacation we're continuing on to deliver content where so you can listen to while you're on vacation Uh, and we're always looking for the next biggest better thing Mm -hmm. the better way of doing things Mm. and meeting really, really good people. So I'm really excited for today's guest. Bryce, who do we have? Man, you know, it's such a great introduction because rain or shine, price is high, price is low. Uh, This is a team that's been through it all. Um, This is the CEO uh, and the co-founder of uh, Offchain Labs, which is building Arbitrum. Okay. A gentleman named Stephen Goldfeder joining us today. Uh, Stephen, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Hey, great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, no problem. Uh, it's in fact, it's our pleasure. It's our honor. It's our duty to the good citizens of Crypt Nation who are tuning in on a biweekly basis here to get a dose of uh, just some crypto education, seeing what's being built right now. Uh, folks that are coming in that, you know, we're here maybe during the bull market, but are still here during the bear market and just are believers, right? People that are like you and me, Um, folks that have kind of found the the transforming power of DeFi or the transformative power of 
you know, Bitcoin and a hard money, right? And saying, hey, prices might be down, but that's an opportunity to, to kind of grab market share, whether that's through acquisitions, through continuing to build and double down, maybe bet on yourself, right? Me and Pizza Mind started the Crypto 101 podcast, you know, in the middle of a bear market, right? And so this is really, you know, a lot of people view the, the, the down prices as scary and not an opportunity, but a loss of opportunity, but this is really an opportunity. So anyhow, that's a uh, kind of a large preamble, but I keep getting questions and, you know, you know re- people reaching out saying, well, what do you guys really think of this, this bear market? I mean, this is where the builders thrive and this is where people bet on themselves. I mean, that's your, that's kind of your story. <laughs> Absolutely. I know we've, uh, Arbitrum dates back to about 2013. And uh, so we've been through every part of the market. In fact, when we started uh, thinking about Arbitrum, there was no market. Uh, it even predates, you know, the, the academic project even predates Ethereum. So we're very much in this building good tech, building things that we think is useful for people and people are excited about and people want to use. And the market will be back and we will be there and ready and even better uh, when that happens. But we're continuing to build and continuing to deliver throughout it all. I had no idea wow. actually to, that that Arbitrum was there since 2013. That's insane. That's in, that's amazing. Yeah. We started in an academic context at Princeton. So um, I have my PhD from Princeton, and my co-founders Ed was a uh, longtime professor at Princeton, and Harry was also a PhD student there with me. And Arbitrum started as an academic project. Actually, if you go on YouTube and look for the first mention of Arbitrum, you'll find the 2014 Princeton class project video, fall 2014. The reason I love mentioning that date is because it was six months later in July of uh, 2015 when Ethereum was launched. So we've been thinking about smart contracts for a very, very, very long time and how to scale them well before there was any demand or any or any need for scale. And you know, uh, about 2018 was when the company founded. And also, you know, you've seen different market cycles, but we've been here through it all. So that's where I remember you from. No, just kidding. I never went. <laughs> they would never let me in. It looks familiar. But that's so cool. Give us the grand vision of Arbitrum, like from way back when you started at Princeton to where it's come now. What do you guys really want to accomplish with this product? Yeah, the main vision is is really, um, you know, we believe in the power of uh, smart contracts, power of blockchain technology, particularly programmable smart contracts, where you can have the blockchain do, you know, whatever you ask it to do, whatever you program it to do. And it was clear to us early on that one of two things were going to happen: either like this technology was going to go away, or it was going to become in you know increasingly you know massive demand, and the piping wasn't wasn't uh, strong enough. Their piping wasn't robust enough for the demand that we thought would come. And we believe very much in the second. We didn't think it was going away. We thought it's only going to come increasingly uh, you know, stronger. And the question was, how do we build better infrastructure that can scale without compromising on the vision we're in the first place? We have these values about decentralization and security. How can we bring this to the masses, bring this to retail users without compromise? And that's really what we've been about since day one in an academic context. And there's the same thing that's driving us today. You know, it's funny. Uh, we interviewed uh, Ed, uh, Ed Felton from Offchain Labs. I think, uh, God, it must have been two years ago, three years ago. And one thing that is just coming back to mind that I remember about that conversation is I asked him, like, you know, tell me about like smart contracts. And, and, and one of the quotes that he that really stuck with me was that possession is nine tenths of the law. Um, and, and that was kind of something that uh, kind of always stuck with me. And, you know, I, I think about some of the, the first principles that you guys build from, uh, and it's really about, you know, self-sovereignty, you know, kind of people being in charge of, of their own data, their own money, 
right? And, you know, being fully, fully in possession of, of their assets, right? And like what we're seeing right now with some of the blowups in the, the centralized lending space, right? People assuming that they're going to be lending out these tokens at 7% yield or whatever. And then now they can't even access their money. Well, you know, those, those companies were kind of in possession. Uh, you know, you signed that terms of service. You understood that the yield is there by very nature of compensating you for taking on some type of risk. And, you know, with, with DeFi, which is a space that you guys are really building in DeFi was it's all on chain. It's all fully transparent and the users still own their keys, right? They, they're still fully self-sovereign in those circumstances. So tell me a little bit um, about, you know, in terms of Arbitrum and DeFi, where you see, you know, Arbitrum really fitting in, right? What is your exact kind of go-to-market strategy for Arbitrum? Because there's, there's so many different pieces of this puzzle. Absolutely. So the starting point is Ethereum. We believe very, very strongly in the in Ethereum as a platform and the smart contract platform as the future. And the key there is it really values based decentralization security. To your point, Bryce, you know, you when you have smart contracts and DeFi, uh, you really put the control in the hands of users and you don't have to uh, trust centralized entities. And that's not to say that there isn't aren't points of centralization in DeFi and users should be aware that there definitely are and not everything is created equally, but the vision and the values and you know, the overall theme of the space is that uh, users really have this control. The problem is, um, you know, centralization is often very economically ben beneficial, right? There's just economies of scale and things often get cheaper when you centralize. So how can we... Uh, give users that security, give them that decentralization, but also at a price point where it makes sense for a retail user. You know, if you have uh, a trade where it costs a user, say, $10 for a trade that or $100 for a trade, that might be okay for a power user that's trading thousands of dollars. But for a user that's just trading one or two or 10 or even $100, that's going to be a really, really big problem. So our question was, how can we bring this to the masses at a point where we can scale? And scale means two things. It means we can have lots and lots of transactions and, and the network supports that and also do that at a, at a low cost at an accessible cost at an inclusive cost where it's not just a whales game, but your average user can participate as well. And that's where, uh, you know, Arbitrum comes in. We're able to provide the decentralization and the security of Ethereum, but at a cost that's much, much lower to users and at a capacity that's much, much higher. So really be what I like to say is be the retail layer uh, for Ethereum. That makes a lot of sense. How do we go about security in Ethereum? Because we've seen so many hacks of pools and bridges in the Ethereum ecosystem, not just Ethereum. We don't want to pick on them. It's happened on Solana and many others as well. What do we need to do as an entire industry to make DeFi more secure where users can have confidence leaving billions of dollars in these pools or on these bridges? It's a great question. And, you know, so maybe to you know one thing to ask yourself is what is a bridge because now they're not they're not all created equally and bridges sort of look different to to different users and for different applications but a bridge is fundamentally a way to sort of uh, move money from one chain to another chain uh, the problem is often these chains don't directly talk to one another so you have these centralized uh, things that stand in the middle and sort of pass information between the chains right so imagine you have a uh, hundred dollars on chain A. And you want to sort of bridge that to chain B. If the chains don't talk directly, you can't just say, hey, chain A, I'm sending this over to chain B, I'm sending this over to you. You have to have a centralized entity that basically escrows it and it holds your money in chain A and says, okay, I'll release this in chain B. 
Now, um, the problem always big for, with bridges and hacks always happens in that centralized entity. And it doesn't always mean the centralized entity is malicious, but maybe they can be compromised. Or maybe someone can sort of convince the, both chains that, hey, chain, hey, you know, you compromise a messenger and say, chain A told me that it's that the money's locked there, so you can release it on chain B. Hey, chain A, chain B said the money's locked there, you can release it on chain A. And so bridging is really, you know, has uh, often has a very centralized component to it. And that's, uh, you know, often where a lot of the problems happen. And the question is, how can we bridge in a more secure way? And I think that's where rollups are really, really interesting. And I'm, you know, happy to talk more about that. Yeah, actually, that was going to be my, my directly. My next question was, you know, how do these rollups work? Yeah. So I'll tell you how the rollups work. Um, on the bridging point, the bridge and rollups is a little bit different because the rollups sit as the as another layer, often called layer two. So we're a layer two on top of Ethereum. Ethereum is this layer one blockchain. We sit on top of it. We're the layer two. And whereas everything I just mentioned, and you're about, a rollup, right? Arbitrum yes. would be considered a rollup. Exactly. Arbitrum is a is a rollup. Yes. Not Arbitrum. a zk rollup. No. So we're an optimistic rollup. So there's rollups, okay. and then there's sort of two types of rollup: zk rollups and optimistic rollups. And Arbitrum is the leading rollup uh, today, uh, layer two on Ethereum. Everybody and, pause your episode and write down ZK rollup, optimistic rollup. That's your homework. Go Google it. Okay. Now pause it and I'll play the episode again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So the question is, so how do rollups work? And uh, particularly how do they enable uh, a more, more secure form of bridging? So one, one thing to notice is since we're a layer two, we sit directly on Ethereum. We have a much better channel to talk to Ethereum. So when you imagine uh, what a rollup is, what Arbitrum is, it looks like its own chain. It feels like its own chain, but it's actually doesn't have its own like miners or its own consensus. It's sitting on top of Ethereum and it's using Ethereum very heavily. And you do bridge money back and forth between the rollup and Ethereum. But unlike before, where you have sort of these two things that you need someone to talk to each other, because it's built on top of Ethereum, because Arbitrum is itself controlled by an Ethereum smart contract, they can talk directly. And you lose a lot of the risk uh, of a typical bridge where you have to insert another party, insert signers. Because everything is settled directly on Ethereum, Arbitrum and Ethereum have a direct channel. So when you, something is, you know, when you want to bridge from one to the other, there's a lot less risk. That's not to say there's no risk in a bridge. There's always software risk, and all you're using, you know, all the listeners should understand that there's always risk. But um, the risk surface of the of a rollup bridge is a lot, a lot smaller. But what is a rollup basically? So a rollup is um, it looks like its own chain. You take all these transactions. The user sends their transaction. And it bundles up these transactions, it rolls them up, if you will, and puts them on Ethereum. I mean, you could think of it, but, but so how does it, uh, you know, if it's putting everything on Ethereum, how does it scale? How do we do better than Ethereum? Hey, aren't we just using Ethereum? And the answer is we use Ethereum much, much more succinctly. We compress what we put in Ethereum a lot. So, so it's like a, in the same way as a roll up, it's like a batch, like, you know, it's batching everything together, making a, a lot of transactions look like they're settled in one transaction on Ethereum at the at the base layer, kind of. So yes, it, it batches things up on Ethereum and it gets it gets uh, some scale from there. Um, pre-processing. It's yes. like the mama, it's like, like the, the mama crypto. bird, it's like the mama bird eating the food and pre-digesting it for the baby. Yes, it does all I was like gonna say this is like the crypto version of zip files, but that's maybe even better. <laughs> both of, it's actually those are really both good analogies. So yeah, so to, to use you know Bryce's analogy that's exactly right. So all the unprocessed transaction, the zeros and ones go on, go on Ethereum, but then there's all this processing that needs that need to be done, right? The transaction you could th you could see in a few ways. On the one hand, just like a few bits of data and some zeros and ones, but then it's instructions it says, hey, Ethereum, go ahead and add these numbers 
do this complex computation, store these values. All that happens off chain. All that happens in Arbitrum. We process that and we hand back that food exactly to, to you know to Ethereum in a way that's already a pro- processed um, in a way that it doesn't have to do that work. But the magical thing is in a way that Ethereum can still verify it. Right? Ethereum can say, even though I didn't do that, I can see that it's correct. I can see that the output that you gave me from these transactions are correct. And I'm going to leave the, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. That's the beauty of crypto and hashes and all that magic. But but now Arbitrum, you know, kind of is that buffer layer. So, because if it were to do all those transactions, settling it on chain, it would be so slow and it would be so prohibitively expensive. Exactly. So that's what Arbitrum solves. Yes. So we take it all off chain. Um, we have are able to yeah process it and then use Ethereum only for the minimal amount we use Ethereum. And I'm not going to cheat for the users. They're still going to have to do their homework. But we're but you know as a hint, where does zk rollups and optimistic rollups differ? They differ in how they prove this back to Ethereum. How do we get Ethereum to know that what we did off chain is correct? That's fundamentally where they differ. And I'll leave the rest uh, as an exercise. Um, but but that's you know the beauty of a rollup. It takes all this off chain but it still enables Ethereum to understand that what was done is correct. And if someone disagrees, they can efficient, efficiently resolve that and make sure that Ethereum gets uh, to the right state. The right state. And to your point, Aaron, the way that we compress things, we don't only really take these batches. We don't just take these batches and you know append all these transactions together, but we compress them very efficiently. And actually in our upcoming Arbitrum Nitro launch, one of the things that gets a lot better is the way we compress and we're able to therefore use even less Ethereum space, right? Because if we take the transactions and we make them smaller and smaller and smaller, we're using Ethereum more efficiently. What does that mean for the end user? It means your transaction will cost less because our costs of using Ethereum are less for your transaction. That's really cool. I wanted to know how people are in projects like, I shouldn't say people, projects like Arbitrum are going to be affected by this big ETH 2.0 update. Uh, Is this going to be a competitor, essentially, to the rollups and layer twos? Is this going to augment things? Is it going to make things better, slower, faster, more confusing? What are your thoughts when you're talking with your developers over there? We're super excited about ETH 2.0. And actually, you know, we're doing all we can to make sure uh, that we contribute uh, what we can. And we're excited about it and make sure that it happens, um, you know, on schedule and anything we can do to sort of, uh, help we, we you know we're happy to do and the reason why we're so excited about it um is you know, there's a few reasons first of all remember we don't have our own mining we rely on ethereum and therefore we don't add really much from a, an environmental standpoint but you know we'll all benefit um we use ethereum so we'll all benefit from from moving off of proof of work from that standpoint but more fundamentally one of the, the really cool things that's coming along with uh eth 2.0 is um some some really great proposals for much lower uh, data costs and you know um, that what that means is lower cost to store data on Ethereum and for Arbitrum transactions. Remember, we have this cost of putting data on Ethereum. Every time you do a transaction in Arbitrum, the majority of the cost you pay actually is just for putting data on Ethereum. So if a transaction would cost ten dollars on Ethereum and it would cost say fifty cents on Arbitrum, probably like something like 35, 40 of those cents are just going to Ethereum to post your data. So if we're able to compress that and make the data costs cheaper. Um, then we're going to be in a much, much better spot and we're able to pass along those savings to users. So, you know, fundamentally, and there's some, you know, we need ETH 2.0. 
Um, and actually, it's not just me saying it. These two things work together. Vitalik Buterin uh, has, has you know, put out a blog post uh, maybe almost two years ago now that said ETH 2.0's vision is roll-up centric. Remember, roll-up, that's that word we said before, which Arbitrum is a roll-up. So ETH 2.0's vision is roll-up centric. And you know, the idea is there's so, so many users coming to this space. We need scale from wherever we can get it. We need the most efficient layer one, and then we need the most efficient layer twos. And it's these two things working in tandem that's really going to allow us to meet the demand. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Eufy Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition, and it has AI self-learning chips, so the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery, and it lasts around four months, but don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks' notice, and also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recording. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And that we have today and that's increasingly coming. What for like from a consumer facing application standpoint, you know, and maybe not even having to, to do with Arbitrum right now, but in the future, paint us a picture of maybe some of these consumer facing applications um, that are really going to, you know, maybe help make people's life more efficient or help make people's life easier in, in some capacity. Yeah. So, 
you know, the nice thing about Arbitrum is we are a platform. And so my, my role is relatively, oh, relatively simple, uh, which is people ask us for two things. We want a great user experience. So fast transactions, and we want lower costs, right? No one ever comes and says, Hey, Steven, can you, can you uh, get the costs up in Arbitrum a little bit? It's just too cheap, right? Everyone always wants a lower costs and fast transactions. And what that means is like, you know, we, we know what we need to do. We put out the tools, but all, you know, the innovation of the application layer, we enable that, but we don't have to guess sort of what's coming next. You know, if you would have asked me say three years ago, would NFTs and, and even DeFi be what they are today? I would have said, absolutely not. You know, I wouldn't, I would have had no idea it was coming, but at the time, even though we didn't know it, we were putting together some of the tools that would enable these things to happen at scale. So I'll tell you some of the things I'm really, really excited about from a consumer perspective, but I'm also saying that like, there are a lot of smarter people out there with, you know, great ability to build and we're giving them the tools that they need, but they're going to surpass, you know, anything that we would have imagined uh, with the tools. Um, I'm super excited about DeFi, particularly on Arbitrum, there are lots of really, really great DeFi protocols that are building things that are sort of wouldn't have been possible in layer one, like complex derivative platforms, GMX comes to mind, Dopex, Premia options platform, and things that would just be way too expensive to do in Ethereum, but really um, you know, uh, great financial primitives that are much, much more easily accessible for users. And I think we're just scra scratching the surface. So DeFi is getting, I think, more complex, but also more inclusive at the same time, which is you know sort of a paradoxical. Uh, and secondly, you know, I think the NFT scene and Arbitrum is something I'm very, very excited about and um, lower cost to mint and transfer NFTs with the same you know, or increased security level over other solutions. That's very, very exciting to me. The other thing we're seeing coming on strongly is gaming. Gaming is, is it doesn't make sense on, on, on a layer one platform, right? Having a game where you're paying $10 or $100 to, to do uh, a transaction in the game, like probably not that fun for most users, but, you know, we're enabling uh, cheaper gaming and we're seeing lots of, you know, really, really traditionally strong teams building on the blockchain. And the cool thing that they're doing is, you know, um, you know, re rewind three years, people were building games that were blockchain first, game second. Now we're seeing people build games that are game first, blockchain second, which means fundamentally they're a good game. They're also on the blockchain. I think that's a really, really great point of maturity. And the last thing that I'll mention, um, which I think is really, really interesting, is the interaction with social and social communities. We're seeing a lot of uh, social media platforms looking at the blockchain and how they can sort of uh, integrate that into their platforms. I think that will be very, very exciting for users and consumer facing. One company that we're working with very closely on their plans for this is Reddit. Uh, as it's well known, Reddit has launched already two communities on Arbitrum Testnet to uh, for their community points. And I'm really, really excited for, for further developments there. And I think we'll continue to see a theme, uh, you know, Reddit sort of leading the way here, but I think others are, are thinking about these very same issues. That's really cool. There's a lot of anxiety amongst our listenership and community just about simply moving Ethereum from their Coinbase to their, their hardware wallet and sending a transaction there. It's still a big pain point in crypto to use Ethereum addressing. Even with the naming service, a lot of people have not adopted it yet. Can you give us some advice on just a high level? Where do we go to even do our first transfer of some of Ethereum out of our wallet or exchange onto the Arbitrum chain to begin using some of these applications? Absolutely. That's a great question. And the answer is there are different places for different users. For those users that like using centralized exchanges and keep their, their funds there, there's a, there are a lot of centralized exchanges that support Arbitrum directly now. For example, Binance 
FTX, Crypto.com, Huobi, OKX, um, and Bybit, et cetera, KuCoin. On all these exchanges and, and more, you can basically go to your say, you know, Binance account and say withdraw, withdraw ETH, and they'll say, hey, do you want to withdraw an Ethereum or do you want to withdraw an Arbitrum? So boom, just like that, you give them your address on Arbitrum, um, you set up your MetaMask or other wallet on Arbitrum, give them your address, and you can withdraw directly from your centralized exchanges. So basically the same exact onboarding experience as they would from those exchanges to Ethereum. And, you know, we're increasingly having more and more exchanges come on board and support us in this way, which is, you know, very, very exciting. Uh, there are also for those users that like to, that have funds on Ethereum already. Um, how do they do that? They can go to the Arbitrum bridge, which, you know, the bridge that we host, or they can, which is just bridge.arbitrum.io. There are also some really, really good third-party bridges uh, like Hop, Connect, Seller, and a bunch of bunch of others across, you know, a bunch of others. You can see the full list of them at the Arbitrum portal. And you can really, really easily just, you know, with a tip, a very, very nice UX go and say, hey, I want to move, say, this amount of ETH or other token, whatever token you want from from Ethereum to Arbitrum. And a lot of these bridges actually support multiple networks. So you don't even need to go through Ethereum. You just have these hubs where you can send your funds in between uh, between chains. So basically for all types of users, if you're a centralized exchange user, if you like to hold your own keys and keep your funds on Ethereum, you have super easy onboarding onto the Arbitrum platform. Can you give us the names of some of those hubs again? Because this is something we're gonna really need to like write down and remember for the long-term, not just with Arbitrum, but for everything. Absolutely. So you know, a good resource for this, if you go to portal, like portal.arbitrum.one, so portal.arbitrum.one, and you look at, um, we have the, what we call bridges. Um, there, are, there are a lot of them, but some of them are across. There's Bungie, there's Seller, there's Hop, there's Connect. And then there are actually protocols that that, that sort of aggregate these bridges. And these are, are bridges where, you know, I'll take Hop as an example. On Hop, you can say, hey, I want to move money from Arbitrum to Ethereum or Arbitrum to Polygon. And you can just, it just supports multiple networks with a really, really seamless experience. So, you know, similarly for Connects, uh, Across and, and a bunch of the seller and a bunch of the others. And there are really, really a bunch of really, really great teams out there. And I'm sure I admitted someone which wasn't intentional, but take a look at the portal page and you can see a list of these uh, with some great UXs, give you fast fast way to move your money between Ethereum and Arbitrum, but often, often, you know, between many, many chains, just uh, really, really seamlessly. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, um, you know, I think the one thing that uh, I hope that we get out of this next cycle, if you will, right, we have the mania cycle. Now we have the build cycle. And I hope something that comes out of this build cycle is just really good, easy UX, because you know I've you know, I've used Arbitrum and and you know all sorts of different crypto platforms and you know I'm a technical guy I get it but sometimes it's just not so intuitive and I think the intuition of an iPhone right people know to click it just you know my grandma does it it's so easy and like it took us decades to get to that level like the personal cell phone wasn't intuitive when it was a uh, you know a BlackBerry or a PDA like you know in 1995 so at what level do we get that intuitive nature to crypto yeah it's a great question i think a few things to say is one it's it's a multi-team effort so we have work to do on our side here for example arbitrum gives you instant confirmations which is already a, a big plus right if you go on 
other networks, you might have a delay that comes up in your trans in your transactions. On Arbitrum, we we give users uh, instant confirmation, so they get the experience. You know, when I when I search something on Google, if I don't get a response with like in like three milliseconds, I press refresh. I'm like, uh, what's wrong? The, the, the world's <laughs> ending. Something must happen. <laughs> exactly, and like crypto native users understand that. Oh, I might have to wait. You know, 10, 15 seconds, depending on what it is. But as you know, to your point. As we go mainstream, that's not it's not a concept that's understood by users, and users want to see fast confirmations. That's something that we that we give on Arbitrum, um, but also you know wallets have a lot of you know there are some great wallets out there, but continuing to cater to the sort of uh, new community, new entrants who aren't as familiar with some of the terms, some of the concepts, they might not know what an address is or what a key is. Um, really holding their hand, I think there's work that can also be done with us together with the wallets. Um, but but also you know to be honest, a lot of what we're talking about is like technology stacks that may get abstracted from users at, at some point, right? If you look at, um, you go on your, you know, you talk about your iPhone. If you click on an app on your iPhone, you don't think about, oh, hey, uh, I'm using this and it's calling to the internet underneath. And there's, you know, uh, there's this, all these protocols going on underneath. It's happening on the architecture of my phone. You don't think about that. You just think about like, uh, I, I ordered food uh, on my phone or I uh, have a map service that just shows me a, a picture. So actually, you know, the, um, you know, my friend Nikhil from Alchemy said, uh, said this, well, you know, when you order Uber, you just, you don't, you don't just don't say like, Hey, I'm, I'm ordering, uh, you know, a car on the internet. You just say I ordered a car on Uber. And I think that's sort of the success story that, that we'll see as well. And, you know, to gaming before, like, like, like I mentioned, um, 2017, 2018, a game was blockchain first game first. Now we're thinking about games that have to appeal to users that don't even care about the blockchain. Right. I don't know or right. care about, that, about it. That's that's the point. Where I think users really get get excited. And there's a lot of work that need to be needs to be done. Is how do we onboard users like that? You know, how do we can we onboard products that give you the benefits of blockchain, but also allow you to ignore it? There's some really really interesting proposals out there, but it's definitely a work a work in progress. But I do think um, we're coming more and more and more um, mainstream here, and a lot of users are thinking uh, one level up of the stack and not worrying so much about the architecture, but thinking more about the application they're using. And you know the the network that it's on is sort of the thing that they expect to be there, but but um, is sort of abstracted away from them a little bit. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned earlier that you're going to be releasing a big update called Nitro. Can we dive into that a little bit more? Absolutely. So Arbitrum Nitro is a massive upgrade to our technical stack, and let me just cut what that means for users and what you can expect. It means lower fees. And a for those you know power users or developers, it'll be easier to sort of run an Arbitrum node and participate in the network. And and how do we get these lower fees? So what does Nitro do? One thing it does is it compresses better, right? We were talking before about compression and how what one of the things that a rollup does and Arbitrum being a rollup does is takes your transactions and puts them on Ethereum, but does that in a way that's minimalistic and only uses the exact amount of of space that it needs. In Nitro, we figured out how to do that even better. How to use how to take your same transaction but require less of Ethereum's resources to process it securely, and in doing so. Uh, you really get to a point where our costs are lower, right? So remember before, a lot of our costs are passed through. A 50 cent transaction in Arbitrum might have 40 cents today of just pass through costs. But if we lower that, we also can lower, you know, lower the, the cost for users. So, uh, and lo lower the fee for users as well. That's one really exciting thing that's coming in Nitro. And the other thing is more technical, um, but we're able to reuse some of the components of Ethereum uh, more directly. And what that means is it just becomes easier to participate in the network and run infrastructure on the network. And the best thing is for those users that are using Arbitrum today, it's going to be a seamless upgrade. 
and they'll be able to, you know, they'll notice because their fees will go down, but they don't have to like, Oh, I have to migrate my coins for nitro. What do I do? I have to, you don't have to, you know, the network will be upgraded and users will reap the benefits, but they won't really have to grapple with the, um, you know, any of the upgrade themselves. And we're working closely with uh, a lot of the team, you know, the infrastructure teams we work with to make sure that it's just, it's smooth for users across really all verticals and everything they're doing on the chain. Love it. Love it. Love it. Steven, outside of, uh, you know, anything that you're directly working on or, you know, directly invested in, um, you know, what's one project or maybe one company in the crypto world that you think is having like a tremendous impact that you're like, Hey, those guys are doing it right. I really support, you know, that vision or that product. It's a great question. I might give a slightly non-answer, which is, you know, crypto is never about one company. And even like, you know, the things that we're working on, we can't do any of this ourselves, literally, literally nothing. Um, you know, we build a product, but, but users need all the infrastructure users need all the apps. So I think the, you know, the theme that I'd, I, I guess I'd like to answer that with is um, it's really everyone working together, which I think is remarkable. One of the things, um, you know, we're hiring now and often we bring people in from traditional tech or from outside the crypto space. And people are just baffled by the friendliness of the space and how like we work so closely with other companies and all just align the goal. And even like how closely we are, how close, you know, our, our communications are, um, you know, with teams that you might think that we have nothing to do with, or, or, you know, you might think that we don't like, you know, it, it's really the most friendly space. It is and, so collaborative. You're right. <laughs> and that's, you know, so I know, I know that didn't exactly answer your question, but I think it's really, you know, I, I don't want to sort of mention only one team because like, I feel like everything we're doing wouldn't be possible without the hundreds of teams we're working with. And frankly, it's, it's, it's an incredible, it's incredible to me. It's still unbelievable that this coordination effort actually is going on and happening. And one of the beautiful things about crypto, actually, one of the killer use cases that people like about crypto is the ability to uh, enable people to, to coordinate. And mm. on a sort of a, you know, on sort of a very metal level, we see that in just building the infrastructure, this massive coordination problem and how friendly and collaborative the ecosystem is. And, and that's one thing yeah, I hope doesn't go away as crypto matures. I really, really hope that this stays collaborative because it, to be honest, it's just, it's fun to build a crypto because of this, uh, this culture. Yeah. It's one of the, the beautiful things of like open source software and that being a really foundational, I think, principle uh, of everything behind it. Um, one of the, one of the other questions that I have um, kind of in closing, actually, uh, is, is a simple one. And it's, hey, you're, you're a crypto OG. You've been building you know, cryptographic protocols since 2013. You've been you know, teaching computer science at, at Princeton and putting out uh, you know, research. Um, and then you've also you know, built up you know, a, an actual usable product and led a team uh, you know, to find an awesome you know, product in Arbitrum. Um, and now you know, with the Nitro update, what's like just a word of advice, a word of wisdom kind of from heart to heart here to, to all the listeners of Crypto 101, you know, a word of wisdom to, to survive uh, the bear market. Because I think a lot of people are looking at this time and uh, saying, hey, maybe maybe we want to pack it in. Maybe we want to go look at how to do some, uh, some other kind of stuff except crypto. I, the thing I'd share is remember why we're here and why we got here in the first place, right? Those even if you just got into crypto this year, you're reaping the benefits of people that came in much, much earlier and started building years before any of these markets existed, years before we could even imagine. Like I remember someone said to me the other day, they said, oh, this celebrity, they only ever heard of, of, of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I said, like, the fact that like you would have told me like six, seven, eight years ago that we any celebrity had any idea about what we're doing, like, you know, this 
the whole mindset has shifted. The whole mainstream uh, point has shifted. But I think it's important to remember why we're here. It's about decentralization. It's about security. It's about self-sovereignty. And really, it's about inclusion, including more users and enabling users to participate in uh, you know different uh, types of applications that they may not have had access to uh, previously. And remembering that, I think, is is the most important thing. So yeah, the markets might may be down now. Um, but it's not about really, you know, the price of a particular NFT or the yield you're getting in, in a DeFi protocol. That's, uh, you know, the killer application of today. And, and I think will be, you know, a very, very strong application going forward as well. But really the fundamental uh, disruptive nature of this technology, I think, is really, really the values base. We're here for decentralization. We're here for security. We're here because we want to build something that's different and that brings immense, immense value. And that's something that the markets can affect, right? The, the, the price goes up or the price goes down, the values of why we're here. And if we're here for the right reasons, it can change that. So I would ask users to focus on those values and really, really, really remember that. And hopefully that's encouraging to keep building. And, you know, when the markets go back up, they'll be, you know, hopefully they'll reap the benefits of that, but the values will be there consistently market up, market down. And that to me is, is the most exciting reason uh, for being here and why I keep building, you know, every day. Yeah, man, I could not have said it better. Uh, that was a, a really, really, you know, prophetic and awesome way to kind of close out uh, this interview. This has been a ton of fun learning about Arbitrum and all the the amazing advancements that you guys are making. Um, where where's kind of the best place to drive Crypto One Hundred One listeners to uh, the Arbitrum community? Where, where do you guys live? Is it a Twitter based, Discord based, Telegram kind of community? Yeah, so Twitter and Discord are the biggest, um, you know, places to sort of engage in the Arbitrum community. Twitter is if you want to keep on top of Arbitrum up, updates, who's who are we integrating with, um, what are some cool, you know, developments in the ecosystem. Uh, Twitter is definitely a great space. Discord is for those who want to take the next step and actually participate in the conversation. We have a lot, a lot of people in our Discord at all levels. Some are developers, some aren't. And I would encourage users or listeners that are interested to go there, ask your questions. You'll be you know, welcomed with a friendly face and answered. Uh, your questions will be answered. And you know, don't be embarrassed to ask. The, you know, the way everyone started off where, you know, wherever you are today, everyone was there at one point. And the only mm -hmm. way we can get to the next point is uh, by asking those questions and, you know, being others helping and pointing you to resources. So I'd encourage you to, you know, come and, and you know, engage with the community. And we are super happy to have you uh, as part of our community. And, you know, if, if you're really, really excited, apply to join our team too. That's, you know, take, take the real leap into this space. There we go. There we go. Um, it's good to hear that you guys are still hiring. Uh, I, I see, you know, every other day oh more layoffs more more uh you know hiring freezes more offers rescinded so it's always good when uh, other companies are still hiring absolutely we are strongly hiring because you know we have a really really bright future to build for and um when the markets come back that's not the time to start hiring that's my time to sort of um you know for all the users to reap the benefits of us continuing to build um you know markets up markets down love it Love it, love it, love it. All right, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, everybody at home, thank you for joining us today. Come on back soon. Um, we're excited to hear more about uh, the, some of the updates, and we will uh, we'll keep you guys posted on everything good happening here in Arbitrum and Ethereum. Uh, take care. Thanks for having me.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.